Good morning and welcome to the 7am Bible. This is Paul Chapman and this is the third episode in a series of, I don't know how many there'll be, but we'll see how we go. So welcome along, whether you are at work, whether you're on the road to work, maybe you're still at home getting ready to go to work, maybe you're just getting out of bed. Whatever it is, I trust you'll gain a blessing in the study of God's Word this morning. And these are daily Bible lessons for busy people, and I'm sure we all uh, can relate to that. So uh, I trust that you'll spend a few minutes together with me as we go through this lesson and start our day right with the Lord, and that's how we can become much more effective in our lives, I believe. So um, what we've been looking at this week is the first in a series of lessons on the life of Jacob, and this week's lessons is on the early years. Now, our last episode, we ended with a brief look at the character of Esau, just based on what it said there in Genesis 25 and verse you know, 25, 26, and 27. Today, we're looking at what well, we're picking up with the character of Jacob. Now, this is the beginning of a saga. Then this saga has impacted all of humanity, including you and me. So I think it's important for us to understand its origins and beginnings, and that helps us to understand just uh, how we can best meet uh, life's perplexities today. Okay, so let's take a look. Genesis 25 verse 26, so I'm picking up on, as I mentioned, we're going to look at now at the life of, uh, or the... Um, character of Jacob, and it begins with his birth, exactly what happened here. Well, just at the moment of the birth, it says here in verse 26, that his, that when the brother came out, remember, Jacob was the twin brother of Esau. Esau was born first, but it says in verse 26 here that after Esau was born, his brother came out and his brother took hold on Esau's heel. So the hand of Jacob grabbed the heel of Esau. It's almost like, hey, you're not getting out first. I'm coming out first, or I wanted to come out first. And it's as if he's pulling him back, uh, trying to take the place of Esau. And in fact, that's exactly what they ended up calling this second brother, the word Jacob. Jacob literally means heel catcher. Or, and it came to mean supplanter, that is, someone who supersedes or replaces uh, something, someone else or something else. Now, this is a clue to the history of these two sons, what they would end up doing. So let's have a look at this. In verse 27, it tells us that Esau, that we remember there, he was a hunter and uh, he was a man of the field. But Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Now, that expression, dwelling in tents, refers to, if you see on Genesis 13, verse 5, if you take a look there, it relates to herdsmen and shepherds, people who are looking after sheep and cattle. So Jacob was that kind of a person. He was a shepherd. He enjoyed uh, being the home life of a shepherd, being there, taking care of the sheep and cattle that his father had many of. And... Um, and it tells us in, in the next verse, verse 28, that Rebekah loved Jacob. So his mother loved him. And I can imagine that. Here is Jacob around the home looking after the sheep and the cattle and being there for his mother if she ever needed anything. Um, she would have enjoyed the, the kindness and attention and the help that uh, Jacob would have been. But it says here in verse 28 that Isaac loved Esau. So now here we have the beginnings of what I believe is some parental favoritism coming in. Here we have Jacob being loved by his mother, Rebekah, and Esau being loved or preferred by his father, Isaac. 
Why was that? Well, you see there in the verse that Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. Now, the venison was obviously the uh, game that Esau caught. And he brought it back home and he gave it to his father. And if you remember from the life of his father, Isaac, Isaac was, a, I suggest, a fairly uh, placid individual. He was a peace-loving man and uh, fairly compliant um, and someone who was submissive, as was manifested in his early years when his father, was Abraham, was asked to take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him to the Lord. And now, Isaac at that time, I think he was about a young man, maybe in his early 20s, he could have resisted that and and uh, not <laughs> submitted at all. But no, he was willing to submit. And again, later on, another 20 years later, as I mentioned yesterday, in the choice of a wife for him, in the choice of Rebecca, he submitted to his father's will as well. So, you know, he was a fairly submissive man, quiet, peace-loving man. But Esau, on the other hand, was a man who loved the rough-and-tumble life, the excitement of the chase. And so, you know, this was uh, something that Isaac was not. <laughs> and so you can just imagine that he, uh, perhaps he saw in Esau those, those things that he admired that was not in himself, if you know what I mean. And, uh, and we have there, on the other hand, we have Jacob, who was a, the Bible says he was a plain man. Okay, he just simple, plain man. Loved the home life, loved uh, just taking care of the sheep and cattle, and Rebecca loved him because of that. So now we've got these two differing characters, and it has an effect now on the parents. And we have parental favoritism coming in here. Now, that's not a good move in any family. I think you all, if anyone out there is a parent, you can testify to that. But uh, why did this develop particularly in these two boys in this way? Let me give you just an insight on this from the book Patriarchs and Prophets from one of my favorite Christian authors, Ellen White. She writes here in Patriarchs and Prophets, this is the book, page 177, and she writes here, Impatient of restraint, Esau delighted in the wild freedom of the chase and early chose the life of a hunter, yet he was the father's favorite. And as far as Jacob was concerned, well, his patience, perseverance, thrift and foresight were valued by the mother. His affections were deep and strong and his gentle, unremitting attentions added far more to her happiness than did the boisterous and occasional kindnesses of Esau. To Rebekah, Jacob was the dearer son. Now, as I mentioned yesterday, I believe Rebecca was a, a spiritual woman. As such, she discerned more keenly the character traits of the two sons when it came to spiritual things. Now, like any parents, Rebecca and Jacob also had end goals in mind for their children. They wanted the best for them. Let's read on this uh, from Ellen White, again in Patriarchs and Prophets 177. She says here, The promises made to Abraham and confirmed to his son were held by Isaac and Rebekah as the great object of their desires and hopes. And with these promises, Esau and Jacob were familiar. So here we have it. Both parents had the promised blessing in view, but differed in how it would be applied. You see, Rebecca remembered the Lord's words to her during her pregnancy, that the older would serve the younger, that they would both become great nations but would be differing in manner of people. But how was this to happen? How was Jacob to gain their preeminence? Well, the clue is in his name. He's called the supplanter. And this alludes to what would happen. But how was it to happen? Now, this is the root of the saga. 
You see, in patriarchal culture, the firstborn male was an extremely preeminent position. Cultural norms decreed that the birthright belonged to the firstborn male. Now, their significance, that is, the firstborn significance in, in that society, was highlighted in the plague that the Lord brought upon ancient Egypt, when in one night all their firstborn, both children and animals, died. And the significance of the firstborn male in particular is further highlighted in the treatment that Israel as a nation was to give to all firstborn male animals and male children as a memorial to that event that happened in Egypt. You see, it says here in Exodus 13 verse 12, Thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast, the males shall be the Lord's. And verse 13 tells us, the very end here, And all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. So this gives us an idea just of the significance and preeminence that the firstborn male in particular has in this culture. Now in patriarchal times, as the head of the family, the firstborn male also received a double portion of the temporal inheritance. The money, if you like. So can you imagine that, that if you were living in in those times, that just say you have uh, this five of you in the family, five children, five siblings, and uh, just because they're born first, if your brother is a firstborn brother, he ends up getting double inheritance. In uh, Isaac's case, that was a lot of inheritance. It says there in Genesis 25 verse 5, if you have to go back here a little bit to verse 5 in Genesis 25, it says here that Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. Now Abraham did not have just one child. We know that he had Ishmael and he also had other children by Keturah. But he didn't give them any of his inheritance. He gave all that he had unto Isaac. So, And it tells us in Genesis 13 verse 2, And Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. So you can imagine the kind of wealth that Isaac must have had. And he then himself (laughs) would have developed that wealth. So it was a pretty significant inheritance that the birthright would bring to whichever one of the sons received it. Now in the case of the two boys here, they were to split it 66-33. Isn't it two-thirds to one and one-third to the other? Now, the other part of the birthright was the spiritual part. That is that the firstborn also became the priest of the family. Remember, this is a patriarchal society, and the patriarch was responsible both for the temporal welfare of people as well as their spiritual welfare. And so they were to devote themselves to the service of God. As such, they were responsible for the oversight of the entire family and the blessings that came with that. More significantly, in Isaac's case, being the heir of the promise made to Abraham, the saviour of the world would come through the line of Isaac. So cultural norm decreed that this birthright, both the temporal blessing and this spiritual blessing, belonged to Esau. He was due a double portion of all that Isaac had, because with that double portion, he was responsible uh, to be a good steward of that wealth, to especially uh, devote his time and attention to relieving the oppressed, the poor, the widow, the orphan, to provide hospitality for the foreigners that would pass through the land, to be a good example of what we might say today, a practical Christian. And Job, if you look there in uh, the book of Job, he was a prime example of this kind of responsibility in action. But... This idea was far from Esau's view in contemplating his inheritance. 
You see, Esau was not a religious man. He was unconcerned, I believe, with the spiritual affairs of life and the obligations that the birthright would impose upon him. In fact, we find out later that he despised them. You see, he was more concerned with the gratification of himself, the pleasures of the moment. And this was his weakness. Sadly, it would become his downfall. And we'll see that as the story progresses. But for now, Jacob and Rebekah have one thing in mind. Securing the birthright for Jacob. But note, they're not motivated by temporal riches. That is, the possessions and wealth that comes with the birthright. You see, I'm sure Rebecca always remembered the words of the Lord to her during her pregnancy, of the preeminence that Jacob would attain to. Now for her, the only path to that preeminence was in securing the birthright. And for Jacob, all he desired was the spiritual preeminence that that birthright would bring. You see, I'm sure there must have been times when Jacob would sit at the knee of his grandfather Abraham and listen to the stories of the famine in Egypt, the rescue of Lot, the offering up of Isaac, his own father, in obedience to God, and then to be assured that through their line Jesus Christ would come. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Jacob? He was only 15 when Abraham died, so he, was, he had plenty of time to hear those stories. And I'm sure he was inspired by those stories of Abraham's life and came to love the God that Abraham and his own father served. And thus, I believe he coveted that blessing of God and he pursued it. And so should we. As I shared yesterday, remember, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is a godly character, and all the temporal blessings will follow. So, you know, we don't have to um, be so concerned and get caught up in seeking the, 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 the material things in this world. Just seek God first. And this is the takeaway for me today. And it's summed up in the words of Jeremiah 9 verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his kingdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So remember that as you're going about your day, whether you're working today, whether you're at home in this COVID uh, pandemic, which, uh, which uh, I am, whether you're at school or wherever you are, just remember this. Don't get caught up in the glory of your learning or your wisdom or your might or your position, your wealth, your honor. But glory in this, that you understand and know God, that you know the Lord, that exercises loving kindness to you and thus calls upon you to exercise loving kindness to those around you. He's a God that exercises judgment in the earth, a God that exercises righteousness in the earth, and thus he wants us to exercise judgment. He wants you to exercise righteousness. For in these things he delights, and I want him to delight in you and in me today. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and mercy to us. We thank you for this meditation that reminds us of our calling to be lights in this world, not to be caught up in the chase of fame and fortune, but to be caught up in the pursuit of delighting in you, that we can understand and know 
that you are a God who exercises loving kindness because you've exercised it towards us, that you're a God who exercises judgment and justice and fairness because you've exercised that towards us, and you're a God who exercises righteousness in the earth because you've exercised that to us and you've imparted that to us. So may this be our experience that we can then delight in you as our God and our Lord. So I pray this, Father, in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening this morning. I hope you've enjoyed this meditation of the 7am Bible. Until next time, take care, have a great day, and I'll be back tomorrow for the next episode of the 7am Bible. Hey